0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems Author podcast, in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, get to talk to some fascinating figures in the world of self-publishing, writing, and becoming an author. And today we have a very special guest who I'm extremely excited to chat to. It's Melinda Curtis, who is herself a USA Today best-selling author, but she's also the author of a book called Frankly My Dear, and it's about creating unforgettable characters. And we're here today to talk about creating unforgettable characters. So Melinda good morning how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great thank you guys for having me.
0: It is an ex well we're very excited to chat here and of course we wouldn't be having this podcast without the man himself Craig Touch the uh, owner and founder of
2: Hidden Gems Books and an author himself. Craig how are you doing? Doing great thanks yeah we're really excited because this is one of those topics that is so important when you're writing novels is to create unforgettable characters, right? That's the stuff that sticks in your mind after you put the book down. You know, there's a lot of things you might forget, but if you love that character, you know, that's the thing you're going to remember. That's what you're going to want to come back to. Often, you know, people that write um, series, even when they're done, people fall in love with those characters and they're like, they want the author to write more, which is great for the author, right? Because series do really well. And If you have those characters, that's what makes people come back, especially because a lot of times like each book is about different things. So it's not like you're going to it's not the storyline continuing. There might be overarching plot lines or whatever, but it's it's the characters that are static throughout. Right. So definitely uh, a topic that we really wanted to dig into and I wanted to do for a while. And since you've uh, literally written the book on the topic, uh, you're the one to talk to. So. Um, you know, thanks for coming on. And and so why don't you tell us a bit about the book and, you know, what made you write it and all that stuff. And then I'll jump in from there.
1: Okay. Uh, well, it started out as uh, I'm, I'm kind of a psychology nerd. I have, um, I'm like one course shy of a psychology minor. I was a business major. And, and I was, you know, like minoring in statistics. And, and even though I was fascinated with psychology, I didn't really see at the time how it was going to help me to, you know, until the day my mom died, she would, you know, kind of say, Are you ever going to go back and complete that psychology minor? Like she was all about completion. Um, so I read papers, you know, when, uh, when professors publish papers, I actually am one of the nerds who will read a psychology paper because I think it's fascinating. And I read a psychology paper about um, why people are maybe not in a, a good place or a happy place and they might seek therapy. And the study had been done, done on why uh, people seek therapy and what are the most common reasons. And there were 18 of these common reasons. And then they it also kind of hinted at the fact that this guy was gonna write a book and how um, psychologists should take them through if they were raised this way or if they had something happen uh, in their quote unquote backstory story, real life backstory. Right. And I was excited about it and I was chitter chattering about it to my critique partners and they were just like these glazed eyes, probably as you all are right now. And then I began to say, oh, it's like, um, share was abandoned by the greatest love of her life in her backstory she her husband died and she was so bereft that she wanted to have a husband but she didn't want to be in love right and that's the the part that makes her such a great character is his, her journey to find out that you know you you can't just go through the motions and be happy you really need to find love even if it's mm-hmm. messy and you know complicates your life in so many ways, and that's what makes these unforgettable characters. You know, and then I started to when this professor published his book about how psychologists should you know help people become whole. Like what kind of journey they go on to get whole, and you can kind of see it in the book. I kind of plot through. Okay, so this type of character, this is what Cher had to learn. These are the things that she went through in the story that made her learn this and grow into a happy person. And that's why we we are fascinated by good story and good characters. Right. Because they grow, they change, they learn something and we can relate to it on some level.
2: And of course, you're talking about the uh, Cher's character in the movie Moonstruck, for those of, yes. of, Sorry. of you that haven't, uh, haven't watched <laughs> that movie. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, it's great to use those examples, right? Because that's the again, that's the part of the movie that people remember of, of most mm-hmm. movies. They remember those characters. They remember, you know, the great De Niro characters, the great, you know, all those people that are. Great, great character uh, actors. You might not remember everything about the plot, but you remember that character. And uh, so then, you know, using using movie uh, characters as examples to sort of illustrate your point, I think is is what really helps, right?
0: Oh so I yeah. Think you'd have
2: to you'd have to find some
0: pretty. There are some rare books that like everybody in the world has read, like The Great Gatsby or something like that. But apart right. from that, movies just make it so accessible.
2: Yeah. Yeah, So many more people have watched them and remember them. And yeah, for sure. And it's funny, you know, I had the same sort of background where I went to uh, university for, um, you know, I actually went in for the writing program. But then I didn't like their program and switched to psychology and actually got my degree in psychology as well. And I I agree, like it gives you sort of that understanding of of people that allows you to, um, you know, write those kind of characters that people uh, you know, you understand the motivations that that tr- turn people into what they're the character that they've become, which is so often the issue I think with people when they write is they don't always um, give enough backstory um, and insight into the character and what made them become that way. You know, or they
1: people, or they do a character dump, like a five or eight yeah. or ten page character dump in the beginning where you're like, okay, so it's not relevant backstory, right? That's kind of my biggest gripe. Like um, uh, Julia Quinn, who wrote the Bridgerton books, mm-hmm. her if you read that series, she wrote prologues, which were essentially the relevant backstory for the main character. And sometimes you would be kind of teary-eyed and moved at the beginning of that that, you know, at that prologue, which you're like, how can she in 10 pages get me to cry? And she really tapped into those feelings. I mean, I, I know that a lot of newbie writers, you know, they reach for what can I put in a character's backstory? And there's all these interview sheets or whatever. And I would say to you, um, there's two ways that I recommend going about creating backstory. The first is, how were they raised? So, Okay, if you're a Klingon, right, you are raised to hate Starfleet, you know, and everyone associated with Starfleet. So that's that's the way they were raised. You can have a character that's raised a certain way in a sub subculture of whatever world you're riding in, whether it's a small town or an alien planet. Um, A great example is Elle Woods. She was raised to be a modern day princess because she was raised to be a corporate trophy wife. Right. She was getting her degree, but she was really looking for, uh, you know, her boyfriend that she had in undergrad was the perfect guy for her. He was going to be a lawyer. He came from a wealthy family, all this stuff. And she was she was a kind princess. We loved her. But she was raised to believe that if she wanted something, she could have it. Right. How hard could it be to get into Harvard? You know, we laugh about that. And she went about it in a totally unorthodox way, a totally Princess L Woods way. And then she, on her journey, she had to learn that, you know, you do have to work for things that you really want. And sometimes the working for things is what gives you satisfaction rather than just getting something, something easily, you know. What a and wonderful she, example. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: I, I love that film, Legally Blonde. I watch it with my, my 85-year-old father, who is a chartered accountant. It's like, we watch it and we love that because she's such a vibrant, strong character. And you're right, her backstory is like so important to the decision she makes moving forward.
1: Yes, and that in that situation, her backstory is, you know, it's part of that introduction, how she's going about her perfect little day and being kind to people and dropping up notes and giving encouragement and people are interacting with her and she's clearly loved, you know, Um, so yeah, that's a great, that's a great backstory. I mean, I would argue that season one of Game of Thrones was the backstory for all the main characters, right? We learned all their backstory in season one, but really all the good action started in season two.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, George R. R. Martin, he, he takes characterization to another level. I, I can't, every time I read, you know, his stuff, I'm just, as a writer, I'm just like, I don't even understand how he holds all these characters in his head to the, to the level of detail that he puts into them. I can't even conceptualize the maps and the the family trees and everything. My whole office would be just littered with all sorts of reference material that. <laughs> I, I, no wonder it takes them 10 years to write a book.
1: <laughs> right? It doesn't surprise yeah, me. That's it exactly. But the the other way to go about creating a character is to look at the defining moments in their life and what shaped them, right? So they could be raised, you know, Klingon runway, or they could have these defining moments. And psychologists argue that we have probably, you know, five, six, seven of those, In our lives that make us who we are, right? And it can be something as um, horrifying as uh, what's Ryan Gosling six in The Gray Man? Sierra six is his character's name. And, you know, he was abused as a child, but they didn't like heavy, angsty reveal all the abuse to us up front or even when they revealed it. It wasn't really heavy. So you can choose how you how angsty and how much angsty you portray in your stories but it can also be as um as kind of inconsequential but still hurtful as a betrayal you know like a husband's betrayal of a wife could be a defining moment because it's it's uh, it's kind of like an if then statement in math when when something hits you emotionally impacts you emotionally, whether it's super joyous or super bad in a super bad way, it creates this if-then statement in your head. So if I trust this person, if I, you know, trust a man in a relationship to a certain point, I will be hurt. It's kind of the that kind of thing that you create. It's like a, a useful example is because we create these what are called schemas in our head all the time. So let's say, for example, you were riding a bicycle through a stop sign intersection and you did not stop and you rode your bike through and you were hit by a car. That creates in you, okay, I'm going to get hurt if I don't stop at the stop sign. And you, my husband is notorious for a, the California rolling stop through stop signs, you know, and I am always like, you have to stop. Because as a child, someone was driving me home from a birthday party and we were T-boned. And I was like, I was like, stop signs must be at all costs stopped at. Right. So it creates these things of who you are in little ways and in big ways. Right. You know, it's the exactly. if, if you think about um, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the gray man just for the <laughs> fact that Ryan Gosling's character. Right. He was. Um, he didn't really have family connections, because in the backstory, he had murdered his father who was going to abuse and kill his younger brother. So he it made him a fantastic killer, right? Because when people have him in the death grip, and and he's fighting for his life, he channels his father and what happened to him as a child and uses that, that emotion to keep fighting and keep going for his life. So it kind of defines that character. So instead of taking a, you know, filling out a character interview, if you find those defining moments and tell them at the level of emotion that you're comfortable with, it can be super powerful because we can all relate to different things like this in characters.
2: Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing what you can do with that because like you said, if you took a, Uh, An event in somebody's life, uh, you know, like you said, uh, your spouse cheats on you, right? One character might react to that completely different than another character because of their backstories that you could then reveal later, right? Like maybe the person gets cheated on and they're like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. And you're like, well, that seems odd. And then later in the in the story, you, you reveal that the reason is because, you know, they're used to cheating because their parent, you know, their father cheated on their mother and their grandfather cheated on. That, that's what they expected. So it just didn't make any, you know, it didn't matter to them. Whereas the reader might be thinking, well, that's horrible. How come they're not acting like that? And then later is when it all gets revealed. and all Yeah. Of a you
1: understand. Yeah. I mean, the one caution about that, because I write romance and I teach a lot of romance, you know, craft classes. And people will say, well, she doesn't want to have a, a, you know, relationship with guys because uh, men cheated on her mother. And I said, Oh, you know, but psychology would say it has to directly impact you. So in the situation, Craig, that you just mentioned, it would be so I grew up in a family where the mom, you know, cheated on the dad. And the one time that uh, there was a confrontation or any time there was a confrontation, blows would be exchanged. And I don't and I want to avoid that situation. Right. So you have to kind of bring it bring it into a more personal level where it actually personally impacts the character.
2: Yeah, I I think most of the authors would be. Putting more thought into their examples than mm-hmm. what I just did in that two seconds there, where I came up with that example. But but it was a my, test. It was a test. Yeah, no. But but what I love about all that sort of thing in the backstory stuff is, and I see it often in stories and in and in movies, is when you know you have this character that's acting in some sort of way, often an archetypal way, often the villain, right, where he's doing all these bad things, and you you know whether they've gone into a lot of backstory or not, you know, that type of character, you know, he's the villain, he's going to do bad things, blah, blah, blah. Right. But then later they, they humanize him by telling his backstory that, sort of justifies what, maybe not justifies it in the sense of like, yeah, it's okay that he did that. But now you understand why he did that. He's not doing that because he's an evil person necessarily, but because of what happened to him previously. And that's the backstory. Mm -hmm. The reveal of the backstory can be used in so many really powerful ways. I love that, that sort of way of doing it, right?
1: Yes, yes. Without doing the character dump, the full character dump. Right. If you, if you think about it, if you're um, writing a story where, you know, maybe it's a buddy film, like in Gray Man, uh, what is Anna, the armistice character's name? I forget what her name is, but she's kind of the person who teams up with um, Ryan Gosling's character. And there's a, there's a point where, you know, she says, well, all the people in the Sierra program were recruited from prison. What did you do to go to prison? And he's got that reveal. So you always want to throughout your story, you always want to leave a chance to reveal more of that story. More so it's like an iceberg, a person is like an iceberg, and you reveal further down the tip of that iceberg as you go. So even though Julia Quinn has those prologues, you know, that's prologue all about Anthony, right? Then it doesn't fully reveal all the parts of Anthony's story and his emotional wound that he went through. I mean, that comes out with the heroine who he's getting closer to. So if they're a band of brothers, you know, they're going to be revealing things about their past. If they're lovers, they're going to be revealing things about their past to get emotionally closer and kind of cement that bond or not. Yeah.
0: I, I think that's so fascinating. The iceberg I I read a a brief from the Marvel Studios recently and they said when they introduce characters, they need to like introduce who they are, what their values are and what their powers are. And their values often hint at something you don't hear until later. Like we just had. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and he's kind of a control freak, and his girlfriend, his former girlfriend's like, "You're the one who always has to hold the knife." And you don't find out until later. It's because as a child, his sister died, and he feels responsible, and he always wants. And it's it's great to have those little hints that you can pay off later. It's very satisfying when you enjoy a story that gives you that.
1: Yes, I I agree completely with that. I think it's um, and. And the other thing about that is I love the Marvel universe and I love the Game of Thrones universe. And as a, as an author, as a creator of story, if you think about um, what characters stay with you, so what kind of characters stay with you and what backstories did they have? And then start to think about why do I like that story? Like I love Dr. Strange. When the first movie came out, I was like, I could not watch it enough. I was so fascinated with this character. And the reason I was fascinated with the character was he was at the top of his field. And then he was in that car accident where his he could no longer operate because his fingers were all mangled and scarred. And he was, you know, he went in search of a situation to get his manual dexterity back. But I thought, wow, I write small-town romance. What, what interesting, an interesting character he would be if he was that character, but he now had to practice medicine in a small town, right? So then you get the grumpy doctor who's got an ego in a small town, totally fish out of water and making him suffer. That's, that's another thing that I'm really an evangelist about, is like your plot should make the character suffer. You choose the worst hero to get the job done, right?
0: Oh, that's it. I'd never heard somebody say that, but I like that. The worst hero to get the job done.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good one. So what do you create first? Do you create your characters first and then uh, figure out sort of where to drop them? Or do you figure out your plot and then say, what kind of character do I need to make this plot work?
1: You know, it's... I'm at a point now where uh, it, it used to be when I was a young writer that I would, I would find characters like Doctor Strange and they would hit me that way. Um, but I do, uh, I'm hybrid. So I write for traditional publishers and as indie and traditional publishers will always ask me for a lot of tropey situations, right? And so I will think of unique tropey situations. And and then say, OK, what's the worst hero or heroine to get this done?
0: I, I love that, though, because that, you know, you, uh, we used to have characters like the saint who were like too good to be true. And now these days we like our flawed heroines and uh, flawed heroes and heroines. And they need to have that to make them they resonate. But the idea of picking the worst one to get the job done is is brilliant advice.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, the I think what really works with that is that um, in in novels you need conflict, and you're almost like guaranteeing yourself conflict and not even having to manufacture it by using that advice. You're taking the worst hero to get the job done. Well, that's going to cause c- conflict because he's going to have all sorts of problems with getting that job done, but he'll still do it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah I mean the first the first part of someone says to you what's your story about, right? The usual answer is an encapsulation of the plot, right? The external conflict of the plot. Like um an astronaut is stranded on Mars, right? The right. Martian.
2: The Martian. Yeah.
1: Right. And then and then when they say tell me more, that's when you start talking about character. But it just it just kind of depends as a, a working author um how you approach it. Right? And like, The yeah. Martian
0: is, is such a great example, though, because he's such a strong character where he's like, I'm going to science the shit out of this, even though it an entirely he's battling an external like conflict. His character is, is so important to driving the story forward.
1: Yeah, because if he I mean, he's a scientist. Right. And he's a normal he's kind of a normal person who just believes in science. So he doesn't really have an emotional wound. Right. He would fall into the raised category. He was raised to be this logical thinker. Um, but but the conflict that he has is nothing grows on Mars. Like how am I going to how am I going to survive if nothing grows on Mars? I have to like you said science is the shit out of it which goes against everything that everyone has already tried to solve, right? He has to but he has motivation because he will die. <laughs>
0: And motivation yeah. is a very important one to characters. It's, I, I read somewhere that it's your book will succeed if you can establish what the characters need, not what they want.
1: I think that's a, a, the external plot is usually what they want, right? And then they find out along the way that maybe it's not exactly what they need or maybe they need something different than they thought at first.
2: Right. Usually they, they end up by the end of the story, they get what they need more than what they want
1: if they have yeah if they have grown and changed right
2: yeah i think the rolling stones wrote wrote a song about this (laughs) get what you need
1: yeah and always get what you want
2: (laughs) exactly i I sing that to my kids all the time (laughs) (laughs) um so uh in your book and i actually earlier you mentioned sort of these 18 character what are they their traits or or types. no
1: it's they were originally called schemas, right? It's a scheme of I've been hurt. How do I protect myself? The brain is very good about figuring out how to protect themselves. Now um, psychologists are calling it life traps. So it's a life trap that we fall into. We can't be happy in a marriage. We can't be happy in a job. We can't, you know, we are too reactive and angry and things like that. So we fall into this life trap and it's figuring out what what the trigger is. So there are some that are, Uh, very common, abandoned, right? You were abandoned in some way. Either you grew up with a parent who wasn't there the way you needed them to be, didn't protect you the way they needed to be, or you could literally be left, (laughs) left in a lurch by a lover or something. Or um, there's um, betrayal, which is goes beyond, you know, like an emotional relationship betrayal. Like it could be you're a thief, and your, your gang betrayed you. Um, there is alienation. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the 100-foot journey where um, a family from India moves across the street from a restaurant, a French restaurant, a five-star Michelin restaurant. And they, you know, he's the hero an Indian cook, you know, but he wants to learn the French way, but he's in this, he's different alienation is just, you feel different for whatever reason, you know, you could be in high school and feel different. That's, that's the beauty about these things is there are examples that go up and down the spectrum of any type of story. There's um, being a martyr, like um, uh, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, right? He was a martyr and, and he actually learned that it, was good he was bitter about being a martyr right the whole movie is his backstory of what had happened in the past and the choices he had made to put others needs ahead of his right and then he he learned what would have happened if he hadn't been there that's so interesting
0: that is really interesting because in some ways he's like he's making the road for his own back with his his thing he did these things and then he gets resentful about it and i think that's one of the reasons that movie resonates with people because You know, so many of us, you know, we do so much for the people we love and then we get resentful Mm -hmm. when we're not appreciated for it. And so it resonates.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even part of that, you could say, is Captain America because he was the true martyr. Right. He was always going to put other people's needs first, even though he was bullied, because as a as a child in his teenage years, he was just small, small and wimpy. He was bullied. We can all relate to that. But then in the end, he he chose himself.
0: And that's very interesting because while at the same time he is this superhero and he's super uh, principled and things, to a certain extent, he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which makes him an interesting character. Mm-hmm. He's not perfect, although he's like he's kind of perfect, except he's not perfect.
1: Yes. Well, no one can be perfect. Otherwise, they probably would not resonate with us.
2: Well, yeah, that was always, I think, what people used to argue about why uh, DC wasn't as good as Marvel, because the DC characters were all perfect. You know, had Superman and you had Wonder Woman and you'd have, like, I mean, you know, not so much Batman, I guess. But, you know, Superman was this, you know, guy who was flawless, basically. And then it just it becomes harder and harder to write uh Storylines because he's perfect and he's the strongest and the best at everything and then you have to come up with some sort of ridiculous. And then you
0: watch lines. a show like the the boys where you have what yeah. Superman might <laughs> really <laughs> be like.
2: Yeah, exactly. I love the boys. <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah.
1: that's
2: great. Great characters in that one.
1: Yeah, there are great characters in that one. You know, say what you will about Tom Cruise, but I think he really understands character because if you look at his Mission Impossible character. The addition of him um, falling in love and but having to give up his wife to protect her is awesome. You know, I mean, he's constantly he's, he reveals a vulnerability about his characters.
0: And there's a reason that series of movies, which is basically he funds them himself, have done so phenomenally well. I think it's because of that. He has a deep understanding.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. I you know, I can enjoy his I know that the gray man has been dinged for being too commercial, but you know, we're all in this not only because we love to tell story, but because we want to get paid. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and in the end, I think, you know, those Mission Impossible movies, I enjoyed the gray man. I don't know. I mean,
0: I haven't watched it yet, but I'm I will because you know it's got so so many alumni. But I think to, to be honest, what you nailed it there is like if you want to be a commercially successful author having strong characters is like one of the bits i think that's really going to help you with that because uh we've been chatting to other people over the last few weeks about you know the importance of your cover and the importance of your blurb and getting people to read your book is one part of the hurdle but if you want them to read your second book or your third book or subscribe to your newsletter and buy every single book you write if you can have really richly realized characters then then People get invested in them. And, you know, I'm 12 books into my book series and people email me about these characters. And it's like, wow, I it means something. And it's it's so validating. But also it's the reason I think that authors can become successful.
2: Yeah. And not only that is if you want them to tell other people about your book, they have to, uh, you know, like the characters and be invested in it. Right. So it's not just them buying all your other books, but them telling all their friends and family, buy these books. They're awesome. Word of mouth so if you're gonna create these characters uh you know so you where do you start um you know I know a lot of people will be like uh, taking characters from people they know in real life as a inspiration right but obviously there's only so many interesting people we could have in our lives <laughs> so you're gonna have to come up with something else you're gonna have to draw from another source at at some point um so you know I guess you start with those 18 life traps, figure out, I guess, sort of some of the, how do you start?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, let's say um, you're having trouble, you're having trouble, your books aren't selling, or um, if you're trying to to be traditionally published, you keep getting rejected. And if some of the feedback is I can't connect with these characters, you know, I would look at, you uh, how you're constructing your characters and what you need to do. So you could pick up, you could pick up this, this book. I'm showing the very attractive orangey color of the cover, but if you know, you could look through things. What I advise people to do is to look through the list and the examples of movie characters and see which ones are, are kind of drawing you in or which characters you absolutely loved. You know, and you can't let go of because, like the Doctor Strange example that I made, you could really relate to these people. I find that I like to write a good redemption story. I like to write heroes who have um, done something wrong. You know, when they were younger. You know how? I mean, we can all kind of relate to that. You know, a bitchy moment when we were younger, lashing out when we shouldn't have, or whatever, and and um, then realizing later that, wow, I should make amends for that somehow. I really like writing characters like that, characters that are in impossible situations. Like I just wrote a a story about um, a hero who had a multi-generational ranch and he really wanted the line to continue, but um, his wife had died. He had just one young daughter and he didn't want that all to fall on her, but he was going through skin cancer treatment and they told him that he might become sterile And he stopped the treatment because he wanted to like find a wife, find a woman, ensure how important this generational ranch was to him. Like do all these things. Right. And then he meets a woman from the city who is not ready to fall in love. Right. Like what emotional conflict are you going to get into? But there it's, this book is kind of like a resource to say, Hey, this kind of character resonates with me. And what I have found personally is that the same kind of characters resonate with me that have maybe some of the emotional wounds that I went through when I was a kid.
2: So if you were to look at, you know, characters in generally, you know, in through movies and through, through books and through, you know, what you've learned through your writing of this book and psychology, what is it, what, What is it really that makes a character unforgettable? Is it is it their backstory, is it their the way that they interact with the other characters in their lives and the choices they make? You know, what is that part that authors really need to focus on to make sure that they are that their character is unforgettable?
1: I think you just really have to have a heart for that character and bring them to life because it's different every time right sometimes it's the emotional backstory that they went through that resonates sometimes it's the person that they are today and the choices the hard choices that they're making for the good of other people even though they're getting pressure like uh you guys probably haven't watched bridgerton season two but anthony had to you know he had to produce an heir find a wife you know find a perfect wife and um everyone kept telling him no fall in love fall in love fall in love he's like no i have this responsibility and don't be you know i need to find the best woman not the person that i love and there was a, a purpose behind all that behind all that and and the conflict that he goes through i I think maybe as I'm rambling on here that I'm coming to the conclusion that it is the inner conflict that they go through and where they net out at the end. Because if they're a flat person that doesn't really grow, they're really not very interesting.
0: That's yeah. The growth, I think, is what keeps people invested in a character over multiple uh, books and stories and arcs and things.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that's the key is uh, it's almost like there's a lot that can make them unforgettable. But um, I think the problem is that more people don't delve deep enough uh, to and they end up with the forgettable. It's easier. It's easier to make them forgettable than it is to make them unforgettable. But I think that, you know, it's that detail that you go into. Um, it's the idea of not making them flat, not making them just the standard character doing the standard things for the standard reasons because everybody's got their own backstory and it's it's the creation and the sort of, and the, the pulling out of that backstory and the, and the making choices that make sense for that backstory and maybe they're hard choices and stuff like that, right? So that's what is going to probably make these characters forgettable as opposed to, you know, the guy just, goes through the motions of things and you never really tell us why.
1: Yeah. I think if you, you know, it goes back to show, don't tell, right? So if you tell people, oh, I just don't, you know, me as a character, I just don't trust women because, you know, I've had too many women burn me before. Um, When I was, when I was in the corporate world, um, I worked with a cultural psychologist who, was helping us create brands that would be so irresistible on the shelf right that people would have to grab them and so we were doing these sessions with consumers where they would write in the category we were working in what was the first time you were aware of this category what was the most important time that you were aware of this category and what was the most recent time and i like to do that with my characters when i'm creating backstories so like what was the first time something happened to them and you, you know, it can be done in shards of glass of a backstory throughout the story that you're you're relaying this, or it can be, you know, a brief hit of that time. And then what was the most important or impactful um in the gray man that comes to him when he's um you know fighting fighting um what's his name? Captain America's character, the villain. And, and he a mustache. Yeah, yeah. And as he is being um you know, practically killed, he flashes back to his father doing the same move, right? And how he got out of that. So it's, so there's some of that there. That would be maybe you would argue the one of the most important and telling things about his character and how he is able to come back. Because I had just been about to turn to my husband and say, wow, he just always just endures, you know? And then they, they motivated the reason that he endures and is so hard to kill. Right. So if you think about the first time this happened, the most important time and maybe the most the most recent time to kind of flesh out, make them real rather than just telling, you know, somebody cheated on me. You know, you 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 show them as if you were actually writing that backstory in present time. And a lot of times I I I journal in first person as my characters when I think about these emotional backstories and how they were and the, and the first page or so is just Drek. but then all of a sudden you'll you'll write something and you'll be like that's it that's that's it right there
0: and one of the other things i got from your book that i thought was really interesting was how you know characters to a certain extent will drive your plot i think um, a lot of people sort of approach the story as we need the plot for the story and you put the characters into it. Whereas I got from your your book the potential to have characters who generate a plot by the conflict that naturally exists when you place one character and another character and they each have different motivations and those conflict
1: Well, I think in the script writing world, the external plot is the story engine right it 's what it 's the logistics of the things that have to happen, right So if you have an evil villain how you escalate the evil villain doing things and how they are going about trying to stop the evil villain. And then the, the subtext, the really fine flavors, when you go out to have a fine meal, those fine flavors come in when you flesh out the characters and you make them more real.
2: Right. Yeah, I think I think that's the important thing—the show don't tell. I mean, it's something we say about writing in general, but I think with characters, it's really important because you—that's how you get people invested in it, right? They—they it's the empathy that we have for that character, whether they're evil or not. At some point, you're revealing something that somebody is going to feel, right? They're going to, and that'll make them connect to that character, and um, you know, say, okay, well. You know, I don't agree with his choices now, but I feel bad for what led him to make those choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. The That can be, if you're writing an anti-hero, that can be totally key. I mean, I don't know, you guys have probably heard of the Save the Cat series of books and, and everything. That's a terrific one. Yeah, and it's. I recently was um, reading something for for another author, and she had a very selfish character and i'm like you know it's three pages until she says or does anything that totally makes me want to stay with her for a full story like have her save the cat up front (laughs) even if they're a villain you know it makes them interesting that there are these contradictions
0: um i think going back to Marvel, i mean thanos as a character was such an interesting character because he was basically committing genocide at the the same time he was presented in such a way that a lot of people they didn't necessarily sympathize with him but they understood and they had a certain respect for him and he had a nobility and a morality even though what he was doing was intrinsically evil
2: right and i mean sometimes you can agree with somebody's feelings about something but you know not take it to the extreme that they necessarily take it to, you know, during, I remember during uh, uh, this, would, this would probably sound terrible, but during COVID uh, we were out at some point, like near the end of it. And we were at, uh, you know, a theme park here and you know, a water park and, you know, COVID, it's still not over. And it definitely wasn't over at that point. And it was just, it was just packed. And I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, now I understand what Thanos was saying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, the, we are. It is too overcrowded. <laughs> there are too many people. <laughs> but you know, I'm not willing to snap my fingers and get rid of half of them. But uh, but yeah, like you know, you can see, you can sort of see why they are who they are, and um, and that's super important, even when you don't, you know, want to do what they do.
1: Yeah, and it is a dance of you know pacing, what to tell when. You know, and you just have to write and write and write some more to find your storytelling voice, which, you know, like Julia Quinn does those prologues. I don't do those prologues, but I really admire her for doing them. I think they're they're great. Um, But everybody's storytelling voice is different. And you just need to find a way that works for you so that every time a reader picks up a book, you know, going forward, they're going to know that you're going to provide them with this kind of experience
0: i have found this such a fascinating conversation unfortunately we are approaching the the top of the hour so we have to cut things short but i mean uh i think character is such an overlooked thing that has been so interesting to to see you focus so much on like explaining the importance of it so thank you so much for sharing it craig do you have any more questions before we unfortunately have to wrap things up
2: Uh, no more questions. I just, I agree. Like this is a a really important topic and I'm I'm really glad that you uh, took the time to come in and and get into it with us because this is something that um, a lot of authors, uh, even when they don't realize it, they, they struggle with it. I mean, you know, some get it right, but a lot don't. And sometimes they, they aren't sure what it is about their book that isn't working. And, and I think if you can get your characters right, you know, your plot is almost less important than your characters. If you have strong characters that people really connect with, or, or at least, you know, they're unforgettable, uh, then you can, you can probably make a story work when the plot isn't as good <laughs> as the reverse. I think it would be harder to make a, a book work where you had a strong plot but weak characters than if you had strong characters and a weak plot.
1: Yeah, is... I agree.
0: Great. So Melinda, where can people find out more about not just your your book or characterization, but also your books? You're a US to Day best selling author. So where can people find you?
1: Yeah, I'm at uh, melindacurtis.com and uh, there's a there's a welcome page which you know will direct you like, hey, do you like to read about small town books. Do you like romantic comedy? Do you like to learn more about writing craft so you can just go from there?
0: That is brilliant. And we shall make sure to put a link down below uh, in the description of this video, whether you're listening on uh, Spotify or wherever you listen to your uh, podcast or watching on YouTube. But Don't leave it there. Uh, Leave Melinda a comment down below. Let us know what you think of of her as our guest. We really, really appreciated all of the insight that she's brought to it. And if you haven't already, make sure you hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. Uh, So, Melinda, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's been a wonderful, wonderful episode. And I really hope people enjoy your book as much as I did and get as much value from it as I did. And we will be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. Until then, thank you very much. Goodbye.